0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative
1: truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
0: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Miniman, standing firm at the ready to fight for our life, our liberty, and our property here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here. Blaze Media is the place. June 9th is the time. It is Thursday. And as always, it's a good time to fight for liberty. But you have to know what you're actually fighting for. You see, what we have is a fake opposition, a fake conservative movement, a fake party that is always focusing on the wrong issue. Or even if it's a a right issue, it's a talking point. It's a vacuous talking point to no end, like noise in an orchestra without a, a conductor. No discernible narrative to drive home an outcome, a change. As you all know, here we are consistent. We are consistent in the fact that we are facing a transhuman elite that is controlling America and Western democracies worse than anything we've ever faced, worse than anything in the East. And we need a national divorce. We need to empower red states. We need to make them red. We need to self-separate. We need to protect ourselves on all those fronts and rebuild anything and everything that goes on i drive that into the narrative and propose discernible policy outcomes that will achieve those goals what we have from phony republicans and even conservatives and everything is a bunch of noise even when they're promulgating valid talking points which often they're not It's to no end. The biggest issue right now, if you had to name one issue, there's many, and they all kind of tie in, is the fraud and corruption in medicine and pharma. It is the deadliest crime imaginable. The amount of people dying and will die from these bioproducts they're putting into us and how many more they have in the pipeline, it needs to be dealt with. The lives that are being destroyed as a result of it. They're about to do it on babies and toddlers and yet there is no concern finally finally a handful of members ted cruz and ron johnson and you know you know a handful of the most conservative house members sent a letter to the fda raising concerns about this and demanding answers to things it finally took that but you know it's it's just kind of a day late a dollar short just some of the fringe members so to speak no outrage no outrage that we have something that they admitted is killing millions but what do they want to what what do they finally get outraged over kavanaugh kavanaugh i want to discuss later today what i believe is the most important fraud ever perpetrated on americans a fraud that's not just like you know dangerous and costly but is deadly beyond belief millions of people being destroyed by it as we're seeing based on recent disability numbers one of dozens of safety signals we're now seeing but before I discuss that we're going to have Brooke Jackson on to update us on her lawsuit against Pfizer and the fraud with the clinical trials I want to discuss what I don't want to discuss but I'm going to discuss it anyway because it does tie in if you have the right message so the biggest news today on the right, if you turn into talk radio and Fox News and the Republican Party, they're like, man, the Democrats don't want to have enough security for the Supreme Court justices. Supreme Court justices, look at what they want to do. First of all, that's not even the point. They do have security. Thank God they caught the guy, and that's not so much the issue. There's a broader issue, and some of them are focusing on it in terms of the hypocrisy of fomenting violence while they arrest the January 6 people but then they don't take it to outcomes they don't take it to the right outcomes don't get me wrong i care about their families you know i don't mean to belittle that but i'm saying in terms of a of a policy agenda all they're doing is just scoring t- cheap talking points it's not that there's not what to talk about with the person that attempted to murder uh, Kavanaugh, and the irony that he was worried about him, you know, siding with with the Second Amendment, and he goes and buys a gun to kill him, you know, and all that stuff. Oh, there's what to talk about. But what there is to talk about would be crafting a policy agenda that would land us in the same place as we would with a medical freedom agenda. And Republicans aren't doing that, and in fact. They're on the other side of it. So therefore, if you're just going to talk about, oh, the Democrats are fomenting violence. They're not uh, securing their uh, homes enough and funding it. It's actually misdirection and subversion. Again, there's what to talk about. And I'll, I'll say what there is to talk about but it's subversion. It will just promote the specter of the Supreme Court. Oh my gosh, all of our eggs are in the Supreme Court basket and they're going to ruin our decisions and influence the justices. When meanwhile, these same justices are actually, um, you know, as, as we've mentioned the past week, they're killing us on nine out of 10 rulings. We're going to pay for the Dobbs ruling. And I do think the more that they, the violence um is fomented because of Dobbs, they're not going to, rescind Dobbs, that much they're not going to do. But what they are going to do is screw us in other opinions. And based on Dobbs' opinion that substantive due process is BS, they should overturn many others. But in fact, they won't. And they'll allow the lower courts to even expand upon them without granting cert. That is going to happen. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, they deserve the violence that the left's going to voice upon them and they don't need to be protected. I'm not worried about them. I'm not suggesting that. But here's what I am saying. You see they're frothing at the mouth. I mean you saw McConnell, McCarthy. I mean I've never seen them this activated. This activated. But if they were really this activated over it, there's two points that that should be made from this. Number 1, the fact that you know Schumer literally went out and called for what are the words? You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. Speaking to Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, you actually call them out by name. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions, right? And and literally, it cannot be explained in any political sense because they don't stand for re-election. It's, I mean, there's no nice way of, of spinning that, that he's calling for violence against them. And indeed, now we have an attempted murder. So it's a great narrative and you're the one saying that we're fomenting violence, we're the domestic terrorists, when in fact you're the ones who directly called for violence and indeed your adherents are taking up the call of duty. I agree, it's a great talking point, it's a good point. But if you really believe that, the answer to that is that this is yet another reason, the reason why it's important to discuss the Kavanaugh situation, the attempted murder Uh, the violence against the Supreme Court justices, is that this is yet another example of why we cannot share a country with these people and why we need a national divorce and why we need to make red states red again, state legislatures independent again, governors actually conservative, and basically, as it relates to all the important policies that affect The people within the states declare independence from the feds and do what you want and follow the Constitution and interpose against the feds and everything they're doing. But not only will McConnell and McCarthy and Fox News and all these talking butts on phony conservative talk radio not pursue that agenda, but in fact, they'll turn around three seconds later And work with Schumer and those very people on Ukraine, on Pfizer, giving them more money, on signing off on every budget bill, giving them enough votes for cloture, which they don't have unless McConnell releases those votes for the so-called must-pass bills. While they're funding taxpayer dollars to inject babies with something that is proven to be poison beyond belief. While they're kicking out people from the military, while they're denying organ transplants to people for not getting poison. They're all for that. And they're going to continue funding it. again, the only reason they didn't fund another Pfizer bill is just because they were you know, using it to fight for some of the border issues. And they didn't want it mixed with Ukraine because they didn't want to taint the sacred nature of the Ukraine funding. They're still working with them on criminal justice deform. And despite their rhetoric on the border, they're actually still working on more guest worker this, visas this. And in the background, Big Ag still controls the GOP despite their rhetoric when it comes to policy on immigration, just like Big Pharma controls what they have to say on the biomedical state. So that's my point, meaning, It's very grave what they're doing to the Supreme Court justices. It is an important story, don't get me wrong. But it's important in the sense that you therefore, all the more so, cannot work with these people. Have to recognize their genocidal intent on the other issues as well. And take precautions against it. But instead, they're subversive. So then, if you're going to talk about this, you know what, it's just a distraction. It's just a distraction. You know, just like with the inflation. Oh, inflation is terrible. It's a huge issue. It's not a distraction. It's a big issue. The Republicans caused it and aren't going to do what it takes to rectify it. That you basically need the states to say, we are going to nullify anything the feds do on land use, agricultural um, resource, natural resources, obviously medical, all that stuff. Now, speaking of farming... At a time when we don't even know when we can get safe food that's not tainted and our protein supply in particular is being attacked. It's a fortune controlled by China. I want you guys to support an American independent farmer that will deliver to you every month in a box the best grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door But by going to moinkbox.com and getting oinked with Moink, you could get free filet mignon for a year by paying for those boxes of pork and chicken and, and salmon. No antibiotics, no garbage, no additives put in. Best tasting, healthiest food guaranteed to your door now more than ever keep american farming going by signing signing up at moinkbox.com conservative right now again free filet mignon with your sign up for the boxes um it's a limited time offering so again go to moinkbox.com that's m-o-i-n-k box.com conservative so the other important point is this and some have made it but i'm gonna make it at a time when Democrats directly called for violence against them, and then now you actually have a violent act, attempted act associated with it. So, not only don't they get in trouble, but there's not even pressure for them to even call off the dogs. Like, it's not even like Biden and Schumer are coming out with a statement, whoa, 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 you know, now that this is getting violent, you know, even the people marching around um, the homes of the Supreme Court justice, stop, cease and desist. They're not doing that. This is taking place at a time when people who merely stepped foot in the Capitol and didn't do anything else, and they were let in by Capitol Police officers who were then fired for letting them in, but they were let in nonetheless. It wasn't their fault. They are being held without bail. They're being criminalized because there was some degree of violence associated with with it even though they did nothing and now anyone who gave a legal opinion merely saying that state legislatures could have the final say in certifying electors they're now getting indicted because some people who held that view and then held a rally and then a few of them got violent that's now a your first amendment view of that is now criminal peter navarro now I know you'll say, well, no, it's for contempt of the subpoena not coming. Yeah, but why is he being subpoenaed for, for giving an opinion? John Eastman, a professor, a constitutional professor, he gave an opinion. It's like me, I, I wrote columns on that too, giving the legal case for state legislatures uh, um, signing off on electors. And now that could be criminal at a time when Their political people not only held the political opinion, but actually did call for violence, whether it's Schumer, Maxine Waters, many others. And not only is not traced back to them in a criminal sense, but even politically it's not. And that's an important thing to point out. But again, what are you going to do with it? That's a nice Twitter talking point. It's a nice cable news appearance talking point. But what are you going to do with it? What we should do with it is they should announce that look at what you're doing while you're criminalizing First Amendment. We should have First Amendment sanctuaries. I don't want to hear about Second Amendment sanctuaries because at the end of the day, you fortify what needs fortification. That's the one issue where we actually have a movement on. I want to hear the one where we don't. The bastards are coming through the gates and attacking us even with a fortified Second Amendment. The bottom line is, all these people that had the FBI raids on their homes, I'm sure they had plenty of guns. It doesn't protect them. You're not going to outgun the FBI. You're not going to shoot at them. And even if you did, you certainly wouldn't win. We need the doctrine of lowest magistrate where you have the support of local and state law enforcement, the sheriff, the prosecutor, and the elected officials standing there and preventing them from doing it passing laws in the states, criminalizing the feds from coming, whether it's the marshals or the FBI, from arresting any resident of their state because of a view that they held when they are not alleged to have committed a physical act of violence. Because I would say, dude, if they need to be arrested then by a factor of a million, Chuck Schumer needs to be arrested. I'm not saying Chuck Schumer does, even though it was disgusting what he said. you got to be very careful with that. I don't want to start this precedent of like, hey, we're going to arrest them for, for speech. you got to be careful with that. I just want to protect because I don't think we're nearly as strong as they are and we'll be able to even affect that if we wanted to go tit for tat. But certainly we need to save our people and make red state sanctuaries. Name me the Republicans that are willing to do that. None. So shut up, I don't wanna hear about this. That's my take on this whole Supreme Court thing. If you're not gonna take it to say, we need First Amendment sanctuaries by accentuating their hypocrisy on taking a political stand and then violence comes out of that, if they're not going to pursue national divorce, if they're not going to say, hey, you wanna delegitimize the courts, fine, then we're gonna delegitimize your opinions too and just move away from judicial supremacism all this is going to do is going to distract from Pfizer jabbing babies next week. Distract from the the you know criminalizing of our bodies. If I, if COVID was used to criminalize our existing our bodies, January sixth was used to now criminalize our political views, even holding them, articulating them, speaking them. If you're not going to do that, it's just a distraction, and in fact, it's just going to be used to further raise the specter of the importance of the courts that were fighting so much for these justices so then when Kavanaugh and Barrett screw us on 9 of 10 other issues then we really have to own it well you fought for it you bled for it you got your things for it you got your Dobbs opinion well now you gotta eat it as the final law of the land on their other opinions as always they are always off the freaking mark but I'm not gonna let McConnell become a hero suddenly for standing up for the Supreme Court when you sit and work with these genocidal maniacs that you just wag your finger at three seconds later on the most important issues of our time, and you refuse to engage in a budget battle. We can't have a government shutdown. I don't want to hear from that. And as you well know, McConnell's visceral obsession with protecting the Supreme Court, whether it's physically, the integrity of the body, it's not coming from a good place. It's coming from a subversive place because he basically wants to outsource everything to the courts. So 90% of the time they screw us. So it's all, it's nothing we do. It's the law of the land. And at 10%, when you get good stuff out of it, well, then he gets to be a hero. He doesn't have to do the dirty work. He gets to outsource it to the courts. So anyway, that's why I'm not going to distract. We need indictments of Pfizer. We need commissions in every state. We need McConnell committing to a commission to investigate Pfizer and Moderna for fraud. To investigating who knew it in government. What did they know? When did they know it? Who created the virus? When did they know it? Create subpoenas for that, just like they're doing on January 6th. That's what we need commitments from. He will never commit because he supports Pfizer. He supports the shots more emphatically than any Democrat does. He actually is extremely passionate about it, by the way. I was, you know, had polio from this, and this is, you know, this is, I feel so strongly about it. I don't want to hear about it. We need promises to repeal the 1986 uh, uh, absolving vaccine manufacturers of all liability we need to repeal of the 2005 prep act that that basically anything done um during a pandemic during a public health emergency uh, cannot be uh, sued in court there's no cause of action against it that needs to go every state needs to have a commission if you want to have a joint commission among several states governors and legislators get together and investigate what did they know who did who knew about it when did they know it In terms of the virus, in terms of the vaccine, in terms of the war on treatments, in terms of remdesivir, what more is in the pipeline, monkeypox, hemorrhagic fevers, what other gain-of-function research, what we need to do to take um, precautions against it. We need a commission going through every single childhood scheduled vaccine to understand what they are, what they're for, what they're needed for, what dangers they pose. Are some versions better than others? Are some worse than others? Why do we have combinations being given to kids multiple times when the only, even according to the National Academy of Pediatrics, only need, let's say, A, but diphtheria is stuck in that five different times, and that's the most problematic. I'm just giving one example. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but this needs to be the focus. Instead, they're on the other side of every issue that matters, every spending bill that matters, every foreign policy bill that matters. Every medical freedom bill that matters, they're on the other side. So shut up. I don't want to hear about Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court and all how outrageous the Democrats don't want to spend enough money on protection. It's not a money problem anyway. It's not the issue. It's just everything is misinformation, misdirection, subversiveness. So this is what all our people are going to be riled up now about. And McConnell's going to look like a hero. But in fact, the issue is the fraud, okay? I want you guys to listen to these two minutes. I don't know who's speaking, but this is on the FDA vaccine advisory uh, hearing from Tuesday when they ultimately approved Novavax. I want you to listen to this conversation of how they know the degree to which it causes heart ailments. And not only are they approving it, but they're mandating it in many settings and they're continuing when they admit that it's over with right in two, in two weeks or three weeks from now, yeah, the end of June 28th, they're actually going to have a meeting on how they need to update their formulas. And they're going to basically green light Moderna and Pfizer to mix and match, update their formulas with, without any, even the little oversight they had with the original vaccine. They're now going to say, Oh, once it's approved, you could update any formula, any variant, anything you want. Now, Putting that aside, that's an admission that obviously it's outdated, it doesn't work anymore. Of course it does work, it's negative, effective. It actually works to recognize in a negative way uh, suboptimal antibodies every day. Now I want to give a shout out to Aaron, thank you. Every day he sends me uh, emails, he's going through all the academic literature. Pancreatic problems, skin problems, every day there's more literature on every ailment known to man occurring as a result of this. But anyway, take a listen to this clip of the FDA advisory committee.
1: This is a table of VAERS reporting rates of myocarditis per million doses administered after mRNA COVID-19 vaccination in the 0 to 7 and 8 to 21 days post-vaccination. These The peach-colored slides are where the the observed reporting rates to VAERS exceed the expected background rates based on um the published, what's in the published literature. Um, so you can use that as a proxy of risk. That's where the O to E um, ratio um, expe- exceeds background. There were 21 reports of death involving myocarditis when, when we evaluated the reports and accompanying records. And this table is for males 18 to 39 years old. And you can see um, whether whether it's a combined analysis of both vaccines or looking at the Pfizer vaccine or looking at the Moderna vaccine. The adjusted rate ratios um, are all elevated, um, many of them statistically significantly elevated, um, with the dose-to rate ratios tending to be the highest. Um, And then you see on the far right-hand side there how that translates into the excess cases uh, in the risk period per million doses, which, depending on the analysis, range from about 40 to 60 additional cases in the risk period per million doses administered. And based on our follow-up of various case reports, available information suggests that most persons with myocarditis after mRNA COVID-19 vaccination recover from myocarditis by three to eight months after diagnosis. Is fully recovered meaning people don't have to worry about it ever again, or are there long-term consequences that might come up later, over? Um, I, I, I think that there, there can be um, long-term effects, residual effects uh, of, of myocarditis.
0: So, folks, hear that? Significantly elevated risks in so many age brackets, well over the background rate. And they're like, yeah, they usually recover within three to eight months. And then one guy asks, I don't know who it is, are there long-term effects? Yeah, there kind of are. We all know when you damage someone's heart, you damage their heart. Could you have people that eventually recover long-term and don't have problems? You could, but it's like anything else. (laughs) Like, dude, that's horrible. And that's just one ailment. They admit it. And they're approving it on people who never needed it, already have immunity, the shot doesn't work, negative effective. I have so much more data a piece on Portugal out today at Conservative Review um, discussing this. Conservativereview.com. Nothing matters. And yet only a tiny handful even sent a letter to the FDA on this. Even then, they only scrape the surface of injury. They mainly only focus on the waning efficacy, which in itself is not true anymore. It's negative efficacy and the fact that most kids aren't at risk and they already had the virus. But they still, you could tell, don't want to really broach. They, they, They scrape it a little bit don't want to broach that these are just bioweapon poison pills that could very possibly kill most people who got them within a few years at this point. This is the biggest fraud of all time. Not just because of the scope, but the consequences of it. The consequences of it. I just want to focus on one thing before we bring on our guest so Ed Dowd, he was the BlackRock, uh, former BlackRock executive who has been focused on insurance claims and data analysis using his expertise as a data analyst to try to quantify the degree of injury. And he pointed this out. If you look at the Department of Labor data, it's straight up on their website. It's unbelievable. Starting right around the release of the vaccines, but then, you know, in different waves when they had the mandates and the boosters, it went up and down. An unprecedented, unmistakable spike in the in the disabled population. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics, so they analyzed the labor market, the labor force, the people over the age of 16 in the labor market. And it jumped just within a year The the number of people by several million, it's it's like a 9.2 percent increase, and that might not sound like okay, like a 50 percent increase, but but you're talking about a population of like 32 million. It's inveterate. It's it's a very it's a very it's not the type of trend where you know you need 40, 50, 60 percent jumps to, to to jump out at you. It's a type of thing that's pretty stagnant. You going back, the chart goes back till 2008. There's no precedent for that ever occurring. So this guy, a great Substack, it's called a Midwestern doctor at Substack, the Forgotten Side of Medicine. So he goes through that, and he notes that in comparison, in 2017, there were 204 million Adults in the U.S. between the age of 18 and 64. Okay? There are also 54 million adults over 65. Assuming you take the number of people with disability in the USA at the time the lockdown started and compare it to April 2022, which is recently, there have been an additional 2.8 million individuals disabled. So if you adjust for the population, that would mean 2.8 million people those of you who remember my shows from the last few weeks i've been telling you i've been honing in on roughly you know we think several at least several hundred thousand people died but in terms of the serious injury critical injury serious long-term disabled there's different ways to skin that cat and they're not exactly the same but but roughly we we we've said that there's multiple data points around the world that would 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 indicate that that number in the US, if you extrapolate from Israel and Germany, and then, you know, the underreporting in theirs and this and that, it would settle in, I said, around 3 million. So you see 2.8 million more people are rendered disabled by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. He notes that that would equal roughly 1.7% of the population that had at least one vaccination. 1.7%. And I think that, that makes a lot of sense. 1.7% is a very small number, right? <laughs> That's that we'll be told. That's cataclysmic. That's cataclysmic. And again, if, if, if you have that amount, you know, that, that reflected long-term injury, it's not clear the other 98% are off the hook, even longer term, unless you're going to say that they got placebos, which could be. Some of them did. 2.8 million. That's unbelievable. And he he notes the obvious point. Many people obviously will argue, no, 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 that's being caused by long-haul COVID. And that's, that's a reasonable assumption. Okay, Daniel, you can't assume it's all vaccine. It could be, you know, COVID is unprecedented too. But here's the problem with that. As he notes, that can't be argued because the trend was not present for the initial year of the pandemic. If you remember not too far back, one of the primary reasons that was cited for why you had to get vaccinated was how terrible long-haul COVID was and that the vaccines would prevent it. I'm also of the opinion that a large number of vaccine injuries are being erroneously classified as long-haul COVID. And he's right. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I think it does. But again as we're seeing with the heart ailments in Israel and UK and Germany, all over these data points, the trends are and the stillbirths, the problem is if COVID is what did it, you should see those trends in 2020. That, that's the one beauty about the inception of these shots, the distribution of them. It, it beautifully coincided, and we saw this with the military as well, with the beginning of a new calendar year. So it's very easy when you look at different forms of data to right away eyeball that from 2020, 2021. It's almost a perfect break of 2020 was COVID. You know, 2019 was pre-COVID. 2020 was COVID pre-vaccine. 2020, 2021 was COVID with the vaccine. So there you have it, folks. Now name me the amount of Republicans that have shown any interest in this issue and magnifying it and speaking out and investigating it and pursuing policies to rectify it. in compensating those several million people. Compensating them. They have $40 billion for Ukraine. 80% of the elected federal Republicans. 80% in the Senate. And, yeah, I mean, about 80% in the House, maybe 70 5% in the house, $40 billion, but they don't have money for, for us. They gave billions to Pfizer and Moderna directly and indirectly, billions in promoting their product, marketing it, but nothing for the people that were injured by it. But I want to get to our special guest. So I want to discuss with you the most important fraud trial in American history that's taking place today, because it's not just about fraud and money and a bad corporation. It's literally, as we explained, about the lives of millions of people and the fact that it will be tens and hundreds of millions of people in America, much less billions around the world, because they're continuing to do this. We had on Brooke Jackson a while back when she came out as a whistleblower. She's a professional clinical trial coordinator that coordinated two of the uh, clinical trial sites in September 2020 in Texas for Ventavia, which was one of the contractors for Pfizer. And she filed a federal lawsuit after she was fired because she was uh, demonstrating and bringing to the attention of her bosses and then eventually the FDA numerous examples of errors, fraud, violating protocols, Obviously, now that we can see in the real world it has negative efficacy and thousands of maladies associated with it, there's no way you could have missed that. It's not like, oh, man, we just just missed it. It's just weird. You know, like, what happened there? No. I think now we're getting a sense of what occurred. It wasn't just a couple of T's uh, crossed and I's dotted. There was wholesale fraud that fabricated the entirety of what existed. So, obviously, the trial is now percolating. It's, it's, in the, it's a False Claims Act lawsuit in the federal court in Eastern District of Texas. And I was curious about what was going on. You know, hey, you know, what's the progress of this? Because everything hinges on this. If we're ever going to get discovery and understand and find out what went on, and really not just in the realm of Pfizer but, but in, the, in the scope of, of our government agencies – This is the venue, and it's all because of Brooke, who is doing this. She could have easily privately settled and earned a lot of money and rode off to the sunset, but she understands she's really the only one in the entire world, possibly, who's in the position. I mean, I think there are others, too, but the only one who's willing to come forward that's in this position to file the lawsuit on behalf of the people, It's literally lives on the line. It's not even a matter of making Pfizer pay billions. Certainly, we do want um, restitution for people who are damaged so they can get treatment. But this has to be shut down. This needs to be – we need an entire Nuremberg code built around this. Um, This is a big deal. So who better to discuss the progress in this trial than the participant herself? Brooke, thanks so much for what you do, and thanks so much for joining us again today.
2: Thanks Daniel, I appreciate you having me on again.
0: Alrighty, so let's get right to it. What is the update? Um, you guys drew first blood, you filed the complaint and Pfizer has responded with a motion to dismiss. What are the big revelations from their motion to dismiss?
2: I guess the biggest you know, piece and, and what they're using to defend um, what, what's happened is the contract that ne- was negotiated between Pfizer and the Department of Defense. So they are in, uh, they executed uh, the, a type of contract called Other Transaction Authority. So what Pfizer is claiming is that because of that contract, that they were not bound by any of the traditional um, federal regulations that govern clinical trials, or those that they're um, that are bound by the federal acquisition uh, regulations or FAR, and the only condition for payment in the contract was that Pfizer deliver a product that received FDA pr- approval. Period. That's it. So that's their that's that's their defense in part. So
0: in part. so you're saying you accuse them of you know more than a dozen uh, claims of of fraud. Mm -hmm. um and violation of protocols and they're saying hey look you know fraud's okay because we signed a contract with the government that said it's all good as long as you get the product in whatever it is however you do it um it's all good so basically and and they're not wrong in some sense because you know fight i mean the pfizer is the problem but they're not so much the problem it's the government that's the problem is that is that really what we're discovering from
2: this Exactly. You know, the, the, the depravity. <laughs> that, exactly. I mean, so, I mean, you know, the Pfizer is
0: depraved, but it's a bigger deal if the FDA is doing it.
2: Well, and that's, you know, what I you know realized when I filed the, the False Claims Act case in January of 21. I, I did that as a last resort. You know, I, I come from a military family. I believe in the chain of command. Um, you know, I took my findings to my company. When I realized they weren't going to do anything and wanted to cover up what what had happened, I took it to Pfizer, although anonymously, and realized they were involved, they were complicit in what Ventavia was doing. And then from there went to the FDA and gave the FDA an opportunity to go in and inspect Ventavia's practice. And when that didn't happen, my, the, the last resort that, you know, I, I felt I had at the time was to bring forward this false claims act case.
0: Sure. And, and now,
2: um, you know, <laughs> you know, hindsight's always 2020, but now looking back, you know, I wish I, I, I wish I would have done things a little bit differently, but you know, that's what I've been saying all along. All of these, all of these entities are these regulatory bodies are complicit in this scheme to Cover, cover it
0: up. Now, uh, one thing I'm curious about, your, your lawyer is Robert Barnes, who's, who's a terrific yes. individual. We had him on at the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic in 2020. Um, um, yes. And I, I think I've been on his show before. So, so what has he told you about the nature of this contract? I think a lot of people would be surprised that the contract, we would have expected that they would have cited a contract with HHS or FDA. What's DOD?
2: That's, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah. So, so Robert Barnes is lead attorney. We have added some more, more team members. Uh, Warner Mindenhall is now, uh, working on the case as well. I think in total, we have close to close to 20 attorneys looking, looking at this case, but specifically the contract, because I think, you know, there's not a, a lot of update that I can give right now, Daniel, because we're still looking at it. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to this one particular contract one document references another which references another and so you know that, that they're looking into it but they're but they're baffled
0: but but you you get the point i mean sure. aside from the the content that they're saying they're absolved of everything <laughs> the fact that it was dod that did it more than hhs cuz that's that's, it's that's surprising it's
2: surprising when this type of contract is typically used to negotiate contracts that, you know, are are, are dealing with uh, weaponry and military action.
0: So could you give us a little bit of where this heads next and the timeline?
2: So the um, all defendants, Ventavia, the company I works for, ICON, which is the contract research organization that Pfizer delegated some of their their trial responsibilities to, and Pfizer have all motion to dismiss. They all had an opportunity to submit those and we have a status hearing that was just, um, given to us a a day or two ago. So next is, is just working on our amended complaint and responding to their motions to dismiss. There's a, you know, again, a lot that's just happened over the last couple of days, and I believe Robert's been on vacation and, and the new group of attorneys were were arguing a, a, a case um, at the Supreme Court level. So I don't again, I'm sorry, I don't have a, a lot to, um, you know, a lot more to give you other than, you know, these motions to dismiss, they've motioned to stay discovery, which um you know, is, is, huge. The, the judge, uh, John in the Eastern district district of, of Texas and Beaumont, you know, was going to allow us the discovery based on their motion. And they've, they've since refiled their motions to stay. So I think that's what this, this next hearing is about.
0: Well, wait, 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 slow mm-hmm. it down. So you're saying, that they might've realized they made a strategic mistake by opening up a new front, right? Because they say, Oh no, no, You know, typically you say, no emotion dismissed. It's, it's baseless. She doesn't have evidence. So there's no fraud. No, they basically said, Hey, you know, we could do fraud cause we have a contract with DOD. Oh, whoa. So that opens up discovery that we could really, um, you know, again, not just for your personal false claims, but for the purpose of the entire country to understand, Uh, what went down and who was a part of it and what they agreed to and what they knew and when they knew it about what they were getting into with these bioweapons. So they're like, holy Mm -hmm. crap, we can't do that. So they're going to resubmit their (laughs) motion to dismiss. So it narrows the scope of of discovery?
2: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, man. Yes, Daniel. I know it's, it's, uh, I believe they hadn't until uh, June 6th. And those were filed. I was up late last night reading over, um, you know, some some of what they're using as grounds for dismissal. And a lot of it has to do with my own views, my own thoughts, what I decide to put out on social media. They do not like (laughs) um, what I what I have to say on social media and have actually entered those tweets um, and other social media um stuff
0: on and into exhibits well you know if you could talk about that a little bit because i think that's something fascinating i've learned recently i want to share with the audience I, my understanding was when you first came on my show and a month or two before when you came uh released this information to the british medical mm-hmm. journal that mm-hmm. you were sitting on you presented them with the evidence I thought you were you were able to speak out then because the year was up and you were free, but in fact my timeline was off. You actually came out in um September, was it September of last year, but in fact, you had the gag order on you till February of this year, but you decided to come out anyway and I didn't know you lost your attorneys because you did that.
2: I did. Yes. Yes. I immediately lost my attorneys when I I warned them and i I, i've been warning them since i filed this false claims act case the government has an initial 60 days to investigate the the allegations and after that 60 days expired and i there was there was no investigation nothing they asked for more time i reluctantly agreed to a six-month extension and after that six-month extension which expired around September of 21, they wanted another six month extension. And my attorneys at the time warned me, you know, Brooke, we have, we have key TAM cases or false claims that cases that go on for a decade or more. And I told my attorneys, my former attorneys, that we, we didn't have that kind of time. And there was no way that I was going to wait that long before coming forward and at least yep. alerting the public to what went on in these clinical trials. And so when I, when I threatened to go forward, I had a, a connection to a, a mainstream media outlet and I was going to go on, go on that show. And when I told him I was going to do that, he immediately withdrew.
0: Wow. So, so, I mean, you, you really gave up everything. Um, could you just well, Yeah.
2: Sorry, excuse me, Daniel. But, you know, just going back in, in my in my research and, and what I was learning about False Claims Act cases, I came across, um, a, a case where uh, the plaintiff was kind of in the same situation, similar situation to me. She wanted to come forward with the facts about the case and, and she did so, but did not reveal that there was an actual, um, case. So she came forward with the facts but didn't reveal that there was an action pending in court. So when I read that, um, when I read that case, I, I, I asked my attorney, why, why can't I just come forward, at least with the information that I have, without revealing that there is this, you know, this ordered seal? And I was told, and I, I have, you know, all the, the email correspondence, et cetera, that if I did that, the government was going to come after me. And I told him, well, didn't just let him come after me. He withdrew from my case, and I moved forward with giving the evidence to the British Medical Journal.
0: Wow. No, I mean, again, you know, no one could accuse you. You know, other people that have come out and dissented in each field that intersects with this as well. They're trying to get fame and people attack Peter McCullough and Robert Malone and everything, you know. But with you, there's truly no conceivable way of of saying you're doing it for anything, because if you did, you could have quietly Ah uh, gotten a lot for this by by just playing the game and rather than doing it as a public service. Could you talk a little bit about what you've been offered and and a way uh, you could have gotten out of this?
2: Uh-huh. Well, you know in in the very beginning, and immediately following my termination, i I sorry, Daniel, I went uh, and I um, obtained a wrongful termination attorney. I paid my retainer and I was going to pursue that, that, um, you know, a recovery that way. But when I started reading and researching, I realized that there was a lot more to this. So I backed away and dropped the wrongful termination. So there was one part, you know, one place where, where I could have received, you know, money from, from this. We were in talks with Ventavia to settle that wrongful termination. We immediately stopped those and filed the False Claims Act case. Now there is a um, a, a part of the False Claims Act case for wrongful or um, excuse me, yes, retaliation, and that's where I will you know receive my recovery. I I filed this complaint with the FDA. Ventavia fired me because of that, I believe, and so there's you know there's that avenue for for some. Recovery for me—that's that's my part of the False Claims Act case. Um, you know, potential recovery. The rest, you know, there there is a potential. If we are successful in any uh, recovery, that I get a percentage of that recovery. But since the very beginning, Daniel, I've I've I've, you know, offered that to the vaccine injured. And I've said that from the very beginning. Any successful recovery is going into a fund for, for the vaccine injured.
0: Yep. No, I mean, and that's that's something every state should be doing. And of course they've turned a blind eye to it. And and in fact, this false claims act it's filed by you against Ventavian Pfizer, but it's on behalf of the people as, as a legal <laughs> motion. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yes, I have filed this on behalf of the people.
0: And, and yeah and that has legal ramifications as well the way you went about doing this this is essentially uh, all of you out there that are so incensed by it i get all these emails look you know i got the shots i thought it was like anything else didn't think there was anything wrong why would you and i, mm-hmm. I have these problems i'm injured um this is for you this is this is the one venue we have um because you don't have a claim of injury they absolve them of liability But this is a false claims act on the clinical trial side of this. And this is really where we're going to hopefully um, get some sort of some sort of discovery process throughout this. uh, Putting aside the court case, have you learned more and have you documented more in terms of the scope of the fraud?
2: Absolutely. Yes. Since we
0: spoke last.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, you know, this other transaction authority contract opened opened my eyes to a lot. I'm finding things every single day. I send them to my attorneys and, and we're looking at that. Um, so, yes, yes. Every day I learn something new.
0: Is it, one of the things that I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the good guys that are on this beat and investigating it are finding that there was a large, the largest trial site in the world was in Uh, Buenos Aires. And we we now have documented someone that had a heart ailment uh, from the shot and it was documented by the doctor and they actually recorded Mm -hmm. it as a COVID case rather than um, an adverse event from the shot. And There's a lot of of these other cases we're seeing throughout the world, people coming forward um, Mm -hmm. who are were unblinded participants. Uh, there was someone from AstraZeneca saying, whoa, wait a minute. I was kicked out of the trial. That's another thing they'll do. They'll kick them out so they're not in the numerator anymore. <laughs> so, sure. so, hey, the adverse happened. event. Yeah, <laughs> that so-
2: happened with Brian Dressen in the AstraZeneca trial. She's uh, yep. vaccine injured. She's come forward. I think, you know, the Buenos Aires um, case you're talking about is, is Augusto Roo. Yep. Yes. So I, I'm in contact with him. Um, you know, he is an attorney, by the way.
0: Oh wow. Oh wow. I would I would love to get a hold of him. Uh,
2: I will put you in contact right away. Know, He's that an amazing. amazing. That's something
0: my audience needs to hear from and I think everyone needs to, because that literally is the smoking gun. Some of the other stuff is a little bit in the weeds with protocols, but mm-hmm. that's straight up how they how they just took everything out because again you can't bridge that divide. I saw right away it wasn't rushed or whatever. You could say okay you'd have this amount of adverse events, so it's a little bit more, or this amount of efficacy, it's a little bit less. It's night and day. It's literally like you know from ninety percent effective to negative effective, and from almost no adverse events to um, every malady of every inch of a human body that you could think of, and now it's you know we see it documented uh, roughly you know roughly 2000 maladies that Pfizer recognized in that famous document now that you know they knew about um, you know over 1200 deaths right away
2: right so
0: away. my question to you before we sew this up is so we have a couple participants who came forward and then we have you where in where in the world are the other people that were more similar to you more on the professional end on the clinical administration coordination side of it, is there not a single other person you've been in contact with?
2: I've been in contact with with several from Ventavia Research Group. When I was fired in September of twenty one, it took you know it took many months for anybody to I guess work up the courage to call me. In June of twenty one, I was contacted by the chief business officer and actually the one that fired me and she apologized to me, asked me to please forgive her, Um, told me that she'd been fired as well for bringing up very similar concerns to those that I did. Wow. Yeah. So in total, I believe there are seven people from Ventavia that have reached out to me.
0: Mm-hmm. That is interesting. But but what about other clinical trial sites around the country?
2: Nobody. See, there's no. something
0: there's something wrong there. Again, mm-hmm. because this is not it's not like, oh, you know, there's a signature off, like some of the things you were saying, and I'm not discounting it. But I sure. mean what 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 we're seeing now is just the evidence that we know, and we know we we barely see anything. But just from the real-world experience, now we see the results of the shots that you can't deny, and then the release documents that we do have, you can't bridge that divide. It's like saying I have Hemlock, and you sell it as Ivermectin. <laughs> <You> know, it's <laughs> like, whoa, okay. There, there, there's, something, there's something so blatant that you can't miss um, and it's truly disappointing that this is what's happened to human beings. And there's one thing when the shot was really popular, but now it's not even hard to do it. You came out when it was when it was tough to do it. Now it's pretty easy. I mean, it's it's pretty universal. No one's even defending it anymore. They just moved on to other issues because they don't want to talk about it.
2: They just move on, like it like
0: like it, like it never happened. And, like and, and it's again, not
2: killing people and injuring thousands. And, 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 and again, Brooke, from your research
0: and being in this field, I mean. It would be bad enough that there's so many people that we need to diagnose and treat. There's there's millions of them. We discussed today that that it's it's likely uh, 2.8 million additional people disabled uh, based on the uh, labor data, but that coincides with numerous data points that we're seeing coalescing around a one one and a half percent rate of serious. However you want to define it, serious adverse events, long-term mm-hmm. adverse events, about one, one and a half percent. And that's an enormous sum of people because almost everyone got the shots. Enormous, mm-hmm. enormous sum of people. And that's just what we see evidently now. The question is three to five years from now, does that rope in an even larger cohort? But it's worse than that. Mm-hmm. It's, they have so much more in the pipeline. We're now seeing with the Pox fi- vaccines, uh, everywhere where there's a new ailment, there's a vaccine around mm-hmm. there suddenly props up. Uh, the the all these flu shots, the flu combos, the RSVs, all this stuff. Um, and
2: you know, you know, what's interesting, and Daniel is is when I've you know gone through and really looked at Ventavia and their association to other other companies like Platinum Research Network and the World Vaccine Network or whatever whatever they're called. Um, you know, there is something really, really dark going on. You know, Ventavia has their hand in all of those vaccines that you mentioned, uh, RSV, cytomegalovirus, CMV, uh, C. diff vaccines, like you mentioned, the uh, the COVID and flu combo. Um, they were even involved in a, a baby formula clinical trial. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it, it just takes time to, to look through all the documents and connect connect the dots so to say you know again one document leads me to another document to another document and all I can do is is highlight those and 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 send those on to my attorney I'm not um I'm not I'm not one you know so there are a lot of things that that I'm learning and you know I've I've said for a long time that the people that you know why haven't they come forward um I, I i really i really don't know i i ask myself that all the time why haven't more people come forward and 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 maybe there have been false claims that cases filed against you know the other vaccine manufacturers those those can stay under seal for a long time
1: mm,
0: that's a good point that's a good point because you, know? you actually you tried to jump the gun because you you felt someone needed to do this but yeah it could be others maybe are still under wraps and you know, we're we're going to need this. We're Time is of the essence because, I mean, I can't believe it, babies and toddlers, and there's only one Republican governor and his Surgeon General who have spoken out against it. The others have not said a word. I mean, and, and, and I think what's important is, there's one thing, okay, you say this was a one-time deal, it was like a war crime, but the war is over. But no, because mm-hmm. the fact that they're still doing new EUAs when everyone admits it's no longer an emergency, from you know most people had it already, it's attenuated. It's Omicron. It's not pathogenic in the lungs. Really, most people aren't dying from it. It's over, and the government has countenanced that view in many other respects. That it's kind of over in terms of the emergency, but they're still using these same methods to just approve things.
2: Yeah. And so- Daniel, by the way, by the way, even if there was a, a declaration that the pandemic was quote unquote over. It wouldn't change the emergency use authorization. I actually found that in a document yesterday.
0: Yeah, that's the new paradigm. I mean, everything else is going to be done like Mm -hmm. this. And this is scary. You mentioned baby formula. I mean, typically, Mm -hmm. like, the FDA was the ultimate symbol. We always looked. You get something from overseas, man. Man, I wish I had an FDA on it. And now it's like our brains could have never fathomed they would do this to us. I, I. I don't even want to believe it. It's so painful, but it is what it is at this point. And the only question is how far back the rock up goes. But certainly henceforth, we got to stop this. And I think you're really the most pivotal avenue to doing that. Is there any way people could support you and what you're doing?
2: I think, you know, journalists like yourself, just allowing me the platform to, to talk about this, keep talking about it. We are working with um, Barnes and Mendenhall to to potentially start, you know, a a crowdfund to really look at the documents. If there's any financial support that people want to want to give, they're they're looking at, at starting, you know, something something for that. But for right now, just allowing us the opportunity to discuss it. Because I think well, that, you know- that's
0: what we're going to do. And obviously you have to remain, you know, private because uh, you're, you're a big target. But but folks, if you do have any insight, if you're in the field, if you have anything to share with Brooke, send it my way. Daniel Hurwitz at Startmail dot com. And I'll pass it on to Brooke. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks so much for today's update. Thanks for remaining strong. Thanks for taking the initiative. We're all with you. And uh, with God's help, we're going to see some fruit from this. All right.
2: I agree. Thanks, Daniel. Thank Take you care. for all of you do as well. Take
0: care. So again, folks, that was Brooke Jackson, the whistleblower from Ventavia Pfizer clinical trials. Um, you know, there's a lot of heroes in this game, but I really think she is one of the less known heroes um, and, and really one of the more significant ones because she really had a lot to lose. And, and again, a lot of easy ways she could have milked them. Believe me, Pfizer was very, they, they would pay in enormous sums uh, because I'd, I'd rather pay off someone $5 million as an individual and just keep them quiet than have them destroy my entire enterprise. Um, I also felt it was very telling that Pfizer is now re-submitting uh, um, their motion to dismiss because it's the discovery. See, this is the thing. It's not so much the false claims. They have an unlimited amount of money because they have an, uh, they, they basically own every government in the, in the world. They even have military assets as collateral. So that's not the issue. The issue is not any one sum of money they would ever have to pay out in a lawsuit. The issue is the discovery of the genocide, the crime against humanity that they committed. Um, and, and and really that they're continuing to commit and will commit at an accelerating pace with more of their products in the future. I'd love to know more about the Paxlovid stuff as well. Um, but certainly all the other things in the pipeline and, and Ventavia is the contractor working on a lot of other products, not just vaccines, but certainly almost all the vaccines. So, um, her, her lawsuit is really something else, by the way, another lawsuit that's out there, uh, Dr. Paul Merrick, uh, Dr. Apster from Arizona and Mary Bowden from Texas. We've had her on, uh, the three of them do have a lawsuit against the FDA on dumping on, um, uh, ivermectin. I haven't read the nature of it, but you know, basically they have an approved drug and they're violating their own procedures and, and rules and laws, uh, to dump on it and destroy lives based on that. So look, this is all good. It's all the above. We need to pursue this, but we need support from state legislatures. Where are, the, where are they? Where are the Republican legislatures, the Republican governors, the Republican AGs? Where are the Republican congressmen and senators promising at least when they do take back uh, Congress to investigate this and you know, get to the bottom of this? It's, a, it, it's an information war courts are one way to get discovery. But I mean, they could do this. Look at, you know, Democrats had Peter Navarro arrested for not, you know, listening to a subpoena. So they could do the same thing. Where are they? Nothing. You will never hear about the most important issues that matter. And even when they talk about important issues, it's not in the way they matter at the time they matter. Because again, it's all disinformation, misinformation. By the way, just on Pfizer and the fraud, the the, the scope of this. There's this guy out there, um, Kelly Brown. It's a male name. He's a, he's a man. Kind of he's kind of like Ed Dowd's background. He's like a you know financial guy. He's an act, I believe he's an actuary. He was a like portfolio management manager. Um, but he's he's uh, smart with math, he put out a very important point. We had boosters. So boosters, think about the implication of a booster. You know already by then about all the adverse events, and you know that it didn't work as witnessed by the need for a booster, and they were able to get $15 billion in revenue from a product, their booster, that trialed 473 people. Four hundred seventy three people. That that was their trial. Fifteen billion dollars. Pfizer, nineteen billion dollars of revenue from the rest of Omicron, trialed with four you know, fourteen hundred twenty people. Think about that. The greatest fraud in terms of scope and severity ever perpetrated on humankind. We need a Nuremberg trial. We need a Nuremberg code built around this and yet it doesn't exist. Even a lot of our voters have moved on because there is so much going on. And again, there's a lot of important. The inflation thing is crazy. They're, they're arsoning. It's a, like I talked about yesterday. It's controlled demolition. They made it in a way that you cannot live a normal life without being controlled. But that's the point. It all gets... This is the starkest, most physical example of what they're doing on everything. Transhumanism. They're destroying our lives to control us in the most physical, damaging way. What are you gonna do about it? That is the question. What are you going to do about it? And we are the only show that is providing answers to that. So please send this show to all your friends and relatives, everyone who needs. The, the important thing is not so much convincing leftists and moving them over to our cause. If we only had the people who voted for Trump, vote re- Republican in general, understanding the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter and the strategies for dealing with them, the long-term goals that we have, red-pilling them in that we could have significant portions of the country doing what we want, regardless of what happens with the presidential race, what happens in Washington. That needs to be our end goal. So again, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.